verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you today to open up our hearts to hear your word, God. We thank you for the privilege of of seeing baptisms done today, just an expression of your work in people's lives. And I pray today that, again, your work in people's lives would be through the preaching of your word. And I pray for your anointing, God, to lead me and guide me and direct me during this time so that uh, your name would be exalted and you would receive the glory and the praise. And all people said, Amen. Well, COVID has affected quite a few things, I think we'd all agree, right? Things have changed, and probably things have changed, and we may never go back to the way it was. And so many times we don't think about that in the church. COVID and the way we respond to COVID has changed things that probably will never go back. For example, offerings. Don't do offerings anymore because uh, you know we don't want to pass the plate. Another thing we don't do, we have now fundamentally changed the way that we do communion. It's different now. We don't have the greeting time in between. Now we might go back to that someday, but uh, you know, COVID has changed things. It has affected a lot of things, and. Sometimes it's not that it has changed it permanently, but we haven't been able to celebrate it a whole lot. And that's what we're going to do today. We get the privilege of celebrating baptisms. That it's been a while. And what we see is that in Scripture, there are things that we know as, as evangelicals as ordinances. An ordinance is something that is a symbolic ceremony that Jesus instituted or ordained. Okay, uh, that's what we call them, ordinances. So there's something that Jesus ordained in order to be observed regularly until he comes. All right? Now, uh, they do not create faith. They don't save us, uh, but they strengthen us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They encourage our faith, and as we participate in them, uh, God uses those things as what we call a means of grace. Means of grace basically is this, is that it's a way that God, as we are faithfully doing that, he blesses us somehow through that. And we realize that these ordinances, what they are is they picture the central truths of the gospel. That's what they do. They, they help us remember what Christ has done for us, our salvation, things like that. And so there's a purpose behind them. Jesus instituted them, and he said, now do these things. Do these things. And I can think of two in particular that we're going to just uh, briefly touch on one, and the other one we're going to go a little bit deeper dive into. But uh, two ordinances that Jesus instituted was, first of all, baptism, and the second one is the Lord's Supper, or some of us might know it better as communion. 
And those are two of the ordinances. Take a look at God's word again. We're going to see how Christ said, now do this, do this. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. So he heard it from the Lord. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Jesus instituted it. He said, Now listen, do this regularly. This is going to remind you of what I have done. And then in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We see here that these are two ordinances that the Lord Jesus said, now continue to do these things. And it's interesting when you look at them a little deeper. You'll see this, that we obviously know that water is related to baptism, right? That they're tied together. And what we see in the Lord's Supper is it's tied into his shed blood on the cross. Very clearly there. We also see that baptism is primarily for as an individual exercise, right? Whereas when we look at the Lord's Supper, it's corporate. We take it together. We take it together. So there's differences in these two. Also, baptism does not need to be repeated. Whereas we're very clearly told to regularly uh, do the Lord's Supper. Uh, it doesn't have to be weekly. We do it once a month here. Um, primarily, at least from my perspective, of it, it can be so. It can become just another thing we do in the service instead of special. And uh, I don't have a problem with churches doing it every week, but that's part of the reason why, as as long as I've been here, we've only done it once a month. We want it to be very special every time we do it. And finally, this. Baptism is part of the initiation into the faith. It's acknowledging that I'm a believer. It's, it's, it's stepping into that uh, family of, of God. And whereas the Lord's Supper is a continuance of faith, every time we, we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're saying, you know, I remember what God has done for me. I am part of the family of Christ. And so you see the differences in these two ordinances. And Jesus is the one who said, listen, we're going to do this. This is what I want you to do until I come back. And so that's the, what, when we use that term, that's what that means. And baptism is what we're going to focus on today because we have some people that are going to be baptized. Now, they went through a class. They had this big class they went through and found a lot of basic information. And what I had to do is take some of that information, and I tried to change it up a little bit just so it would be a little fresh for you guys that went through the class, I hope. But what we see is this, is that baptism is publicly identifying with Christ in his death, in his burial, and his resurrection, and publicly identifying with his people. That's important because uh, back in the time uh, when uh, Jesus was on the earth and John the Baptist, for someone to associate with uh, Christianity or the way for a Jewish person, that was huge. They were saying, listen, I am tying my, uh, I'm connecting with this group of people, and that could be very, very, um, what shall we say, uh, hard for them because it could be rejected from the Jewish community. 
And so there was a cost to publicly proclaiming being a part of this Christian body, believing in, as they called it, the way. For us today, not so much. Maybe in some countries, but not in the United States. You know, you think of, I think of Johan over in India. Is there a cost there? Is there a cost in, in Ghana? Are there places across the world where if you associate with Christianity, it could cost you your life? And uh, so when we talk about baptism, we kind of have a, a blinders on to what it really could cost someone because for us it doesn't cost us anything, really. You can get baptized and we're not really afraid that that would uh, cause somebody to put us on a list and then we would now be targeted for possible death or, or serious persecution. But back then it was. So you see how important this was, that you are making a public stand saying, I am a Christian and I am part of the body of Christ. Huge, huge thing that happened. Now, baptism is not an altar call. We grew up here in the United States, and there's altar calls. Well, really, when you look at Scripture, there is no thing, nothing in Scripture that talks about an altar call. An altar call here is, you know, we present the gospel, and we say, okay, if you want to receive the gift of salvation, come forward, and then people come forward and um, maybe pray a prayer or whatever. Uh, but we don't do that here. Obviously, God is, is doing a work in people's hearts, and he'll bring them to a place of repentance. But baptism can't be confused with an altar call. Some people will tie them together, and it's just not the same thing at all. Because baptism was the universal New Testament outward sign of prior inward cleansing from sin. So it happened before. It didn't happen at the baptism. It happened before. And it's talking also about one's union with Christ and his body. So it's not a time where people get saved. It's something that they have received the gift of salvation, and now they're proclaiming it to the world. And so that's one of the ways that we can see in our, I guess, Western mindset that it's not an altar call at all. This is something completely different. This is proclaiming something that has already occurred and making a statement to all that this is who I am and who I will be associated with. Um, Another thing, sometimes what people get confused about is they say, well, Okay, is, so baptism took the place of circumcision. Okay, if you go back into the Jewish faith, it, the, what marked a Jewish person is that they were circumcised. And so sometimes people will say, well, this is, either, uh, this is a continuation of circumcision. It just takes its place. And that's not true either. Um, let's take a look at God's word. We'll see in Romans chapter 2, 25 through 29. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. It's talking about the fact that, listen, just because you were circumcised doesn't get you right with God. That's, that's not what it is. But the Jewish people believe that. I am a Jewish person. Because of that, uh, I am going, when I pass on, I will be with God forever and eternity. Why? Because I'm a Jewish person. I was circumcised. I have the mark that, that sets me apart from all people. So I am God's chosen because of that. And it goes on. Look at this. Verse 26. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, a Gentile, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? In other words, will God not accept him? 
Just because he's not circumcised, it's not about a physical sign is what he's talking about. It's not about the nation that you were born in or your nationality. It goes on in verse 27. Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. Just because you're a Jew doesn't get you right with God. It's about our, our lives, our hearts. Verse 28, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. Very interesting. Saying it's not about this outward thing. It's something that God is doing in someone. And it goes on in verse 29, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. Huge statement there. By the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. What he's saying here is, is that uh, circumcision is not the mark of a believer just because you were circumcised and are a Jew, you, you're right with God. Because anybody could be circumcised. If you were born and you were born in a Jewish family, you were circumcised. That didn't mean you were right with God. That's the point that, that they're making here. And that's why baptism is not a continuation of of circumcision because circumcision was not limited to only those who had genuine saving faith. It was to any Jew. It goes on to see that uh, unless a Jewish person's heart was circumcised, that's really what God was after. We're going to talk about this next week, about how God is always called a remnant among the Jewish people. Not all the Jewish people, but a remnant. And part of that we see is that God has circumcised their hearts. So what we see is that baptism is not an altar call because it's for those who have already received the gift of salvation. It is not a continuation of circumcision. And it does not save us. It does not save us. Uh, nor is it necessary to somehow complete our salvation. Some people believe that. If you weren't baptized, then you're not saved. Take a look at God's word. We're just going to stick with Romans 2, 25 through 29. Or, I'm sorry. Ephesians, there we go. 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that, one, so that no one may boast. Works. Baptism would be works. If you would not be saved unless you were baptized then that's a work that you would do in order to be saved, to complete your salvation. Then we go to Romans 10, 9 through 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Pretty simple. Right to the point. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And then finally, Romans eleven six. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. You could see how that would be so easy for people to say that you must be baptized in order to be saved. We're adding a works to that. And then I think it would be easy for people to say, well, yeah, I'm a believer because I was baptized. I was baptized, so I'm a believer. I have to be because I was baptized. And it would be the modern day, in their minds, equivalent to a circumcision. That's my outside mark. I was baptized and the Jews were circumcised, but I'm a believer now because of that. What we need to understand is that justification takes place at the point of saving faith. 
when you, by God's grace, you hear this beautiful, wonderful gospel. God has brought you to this place where suddenly your heart is opened up and the gospel is shared. You start understanding who you are, that, Lord, I am a sinner. I'm separated from you and there is nothing I can do. Nothing. And my eternity is going to be separate from you in hell. And God opens up your, your eyes to that. You start understanding that and you, you realize that, well, what am I going to do? And, you, and then you see the, the beauty of the gospel that God sent his son out of his love for you, sent his son, Jesus Christ, who would come fully God and fully man, that he would live that perfect sinless life, perfect sinless life, meet the requirements in order to spend eternity with God. And then he went to the cross and was punished for sin that was not his, for your sin. You realize that. God has opened your heart to that. And that Jesus died and was punished for your sin, all of it. And then three days later, he rose from the dead as the Father saying, I accept Jesus' payment on your behalf for your sin. And God opens that up and you realize, you know what? It is about God. His grace giving me something I don't deserve. And it's by faith, me trusting that this is truly what happened and is happening. And it's faith in Christ and his finished work. And the moment that you understand that and you receive that gift of salvation, you're saved. Now, what we see a lot of times in the world is that when somebody makes that proclamation and God has worked in their hearts, they immediately take them to be baptized. I know Prince Paul does that. But for us, that's not usually the the pattern that we have. But the moment that you receive that gift of salvation, you are saved completely. Nothing more needs to be added. It is done. We see that, as we said, baptism is an expression of already existing faith. So it is only for believers. And that's one of the things that, like in our class... We just have everybody that's in the class, okay, are you a believer? Let's just really, have you received that gift of salvation? Is there evidence that you're wanting to pursue pursue Christ and honor him in in your life? Not perfection, because we can't have that, not on this side of eternity. But what happens is, is, yeah, I'm a believer. So that's the one thing. You make sure that that individual is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone that they're basing their whole eternity and if that's the case, you can be baptized. That's the one requirement. You've got to be a believer. Now, you do not need to be baptized to be saved, to be a, become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you truly have received that gift of salvation, you should be baptized out of obedience to Christ and the Word of God. If you have received the gift of salvation, you should be baptized. Jesus said, you know, go, make disciples, baptize them. Other commands in the word of God. So we see that if we are a believer, we should be baptized. Now, there might be unique circumstances. For example, the thief on the cross. He couldn't couldn't get baptized. We all know that, right? And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, that was kind of a unique situation. But if we have an opportunity, uh, we would encourage you to be baptized because that's the pattern that we see in the Word of God, that we would 
walk in obedience to God's word. We know of no unbaptized New Testament believers except for that thief on the cross. He's the only one that we know of in the word of God. So, if you are a believer, you haven't been baptized, I want to encourage you in the future to be baptized out of obedience to God's word. And what we do here at La Crescent Free is we have what we call believer's baptism. And we believe that that is the New Testament pattern that we see. And what that means is this, that there is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his atoning work first. And then what happens is baptism following uh, that receiving of the gift of salvation. Take a look at God's word. Acts chapter 2, verses 41. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So they believed and they were baptized. At that time, probably literally, okay, now let's go down to the water and be baptized. Acts chapter 8, verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. They believed and they were baptized. So that's the pattern that we see in Scripture. Uh, That's the pattern that this church uh, stands on that it's called believer's baptism, and that is the reason why we do not uh, baptize infants here because we feel that that switches the pattern that is in the New Testament, believing first, then being baptized. And so uh, that's where we stand as a body of Christ uh, and what we've done, I think, since this church was founded. And um, what we do, however, when it comes to infants is we have dedications. Maybe you've been here for a child dedication where we take that time and we say, listen, we're, the parents are, are committing to raising that child in a way that honors God, that, that, that God would, would use this time to really call the parents and the people that are here at this body to uh, pour into this child's life, that we would encourage them to receive that gift of salvation. And then that child down the road would do that. And that's consistent with Scripture as well because we see that Jesus was dedicated and so is Samuel. We see baby infant dedications in Scripture. And so that's, again, where we stand on the infant baptism and believer's baptism. Uh, I think, I'll say this, I think there are times when we can make this issue the reason for division in the body. And I think that breaks Jesus' heart. I'm just going to be honest. I look at this as a second-tier issue. In other words, uh, It's not about salvation. It's important, but it's not about salvation. And I have seen fellowship broken because of this, because either uh, they believe in paedo-baptism, which is infant baptism, and the other person believes in believer's baptism, and fellowship is broken because of it. And I think that's that's sad. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want to encourage you that there may be people that don't believe everything that, that you believe or I believe, but there are brothers and sisters in Christ and we should not break fellowship because of that. That's, that's my pitch here. Um, the mode of baptism in the New Testament is immersion. You get dunked. You get dunked. Uh, and that is consistent with the meaning of the word baptism and, and it also best reflects the symbolism. Of baptism. The word baptism in Greek means this to dip, immerse, plunge something underneath the water. That's what it means, the word baptism. 
in the secular use, it was this, that you would dip cloth in a dye in order to color the cloth. The effect of that dye permeating that cloth, changing. It's a, that's, the, that's what the secular people use, that word baptize. So you baptize a piece of cloth, which is kind of interesting when you think about it. That is the mode that we see in the New Testament, immersion baptism for believers. What does that do? Well, first of all, I want to say this. Remember I said that this, these ordinances were commanded by Christ because they reflect truths of the gospel that we wanted to be reminded of, that Christ wanted us to remember. So when we look at this, we see that baptism really pictures three central facts of the gospel. It pictures Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. So baptism pictures those three truths about the gospel, and it publicly proclaims that a person is joining them, has joined themselves to Christ and his body. I want to be identified as a Christian. It can be really tough, especially I think it's going to be tougher and tougher in the United States as things move forward here. But take a look at God's word. Romans 6, this is what we read, 3 through 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death, like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection, like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We see pictures of this. And then we go on, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then finally, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We see that the word baptism means immerse in water, and then we see the symbolism, this rich symbolism that happens when we baptize the believer. Um, first of all, when they go under the water. Some of you are not being baptized by me. That's a fortunate thing. I always say this every year, but if I baptize you, I wait until the bubbles stop coming up. <laughs> then I know it's taking, right? When we put you under the water, what happens is this just is a picture of our death with Christ, being buried. So there's this, this bringing down below the water, and we're saying, you know, I'm buried with Christ. I'm putting to death. I'm putting to death my old life. It's behind me. I'm putting to death my past. I'm putting to death sin. I don't want to sin. I want to walk away from it. I want to put it to death. And this is a hard one. It also means that I'm putting to death myself, my self-centeredness, my own desires and goals for life that are maybe not consistent with God's will for my life. 
saying, you know what, Lord, I'm putting to death those things. They're buried, God. They're put away. And then what we see is that as we come forth from the water, is a picture of being raised with Christ to a newness of life, as it says here. Jesus was raised from the dead. He received uh, a new body. And so this is a picture of us being buried with Christ, putting aside our old self, saying, I don't want that anymore. And then coming up is this beautiful picture of being raised with Christ to newness of life. The beauty of the symbolism in baptism is just incredible. That's why I think it is such a delight and a privilege to witness baptisms. Because we remember that. We remember that. And I, I, it's funny because I don't think about my baptism until we're going to do baptisms here. And I think about that way back, way back when. I think it was like, I don't know, 82 or something. And I was living in Bothell, Washington, right outside of Seattle. And, you know, I think about that. And I, so I'm baptizing. People are getting ready to And I think about my baptism. And I think, you know, God, that was the day that I really took a stand publicly. I knew I was saved, but boy, it's amazing how we think back at those things and we see, we see the truths that are there and we're able to rejoice in those truths. You know, some other uh, pictures that we see too is just passing through the waters of judgment safely, right? Uh, we picture that, we see that in Noah's Ark, the Ark. And the other thing too is that we just see how uh, this picture of baptism is a beautiful picture of how uh, our sins are washed away as well. So people can take all different symbolism there. Primarily, it's talking about, though, Christ and being buried with him and raised with him. And that's the picture that we see in baptism. It is, it is, it's wonderful. It's, it's great. I love it. And I would encourage you that if you are not able to, to stay after the service, come back after the second service and watch this. It's just, it's, it's a celebration. And that's why... Baptism is really a means of grace. We, you know, it's easy to use that term and say, well, what, is that? What, what, what does that mean, means of grace? It means that this is a way that the Holy Spirit blesses people who walk in obedience to Christ. It's a, it's a way of blessing not only the person being baptized, but us as the body of believers. It's a, a means of grace to us. What it does is this. It will strengthen and encourage our faith. If you're the one being baptized, it's you're making a stand. And for us watching, it encourages me. It encourages me greatly. I love to hear the testimonies. I wish they were longer. You know, I, I, sometimes I think, I gotta be honest here, sometimes I get frustrated with living in Western world because, I mean, can you imagine... We kind of limit the amount of time to give the testimony. That's, man, that's what I want to hear. I want to hear the work that God did in someone's life. You know what I'm saying? And say, this is where I was at. And I get it. I understand it. I'm just saying this is my personal frustration when it comes to this is that, you know, we're talking about a miracle that God has done. This person is, is standing in front of, of us being baptized. This is a miracle of the living God in front of us. This is amazing. This person was dead and now they're alive. This person was eternally going to spend, uh, spend all eternity in hell and now they're going to be in heaven. They were my enemy at one time. Now they're my brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a living 
miracle in front of me. A miracle of God's grace. A miracle of, of the price that was paid for that person. And to look upon that. And to see that, how can I not be encouraged? You see that as we hear the testimonies of what God has done to change their lives. Some of the testimonies are so incredible. They're all incredible. But some of them, from our perspective, seem more incredible than others. And it gives you hope. Hope for those who are lost that you know that you love. And you hear these testimonies of the living God calling this person out of darkness into light. See, that's what it's about for us as as those who have the blessing of hearing the testimonies and watching a baptism. It is awesome. It is so encouraging for our faith. Encouraging that nothing is impossible with God. The loved ones that we have, God, you can reach them. You reach that person. You can reach that loved one. And it encourages us to go share our faith because we never know who God's going to save. We never know who God has called. And so we can share with confidence knowing that God, you either called them or you didn't, but I get to be a part of that. And it encourages us to share our faith. Lord, I don't know who it is, but who it is that you've called, but I am going to go share, Lord. I want to be a part of that. That's what, I, I love that. That's what I love about watching baptisms and hearing the testimonies of how God saved these people. It's amazing, amazing. So you see how that's a means of grace for those of us that get to watch this and see this? It's amazing. It's a miracle. And it's a blessing to us and an encouragement in our faith and an encouragement to share the gospel with others. It's an encouragement to the one who is being baptized as well. I mean, I'm kind of selfish here because I'm not going to be the one being baptized, but I'm going to be blessed as well. But the person who is being baptized, what, a, what an incredible blessing to receive that joy of walking in obedience to Christ. He said, go. You know what? Saved and be baptized. And so many things can be difficult to understand you know, am I really obeying Christ in this? Am I really walking in obedience? And baptism is, baptism is one of those that is very clear. I'm, I'm, I'm being obedient to Christ here. This is so sweet. And we should always delight when we walk in obedience to the Lord. And this is one of those ways that the person who is being baptized is walking in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ and the joy that comes with that. It's a public profession of your faith in Christ and your desire to be known as part of the body of Christ. I'm a Christian. And as I said, it doesn't cost us much here, but in some places it does. And to be baptized should always be a serious decision, but I think it's a little easier for us here because there's not a whole lot of cost for us to be baptized in in the public. I think another thing, too, is is that um, it's a way to do what Romans 9, or 10, 9 through 10 says. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. That you can be baptized, and before you're baptized, you share that testimony, and you're doing what? You're confessing the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior with your mouth, in public, in front of other people. Say, this is who I am. 
I'm a believer now. That's incredible. That's a blessing. You can look at that section of Scripture and rejoice, saying, you know what? That's one time I did that, and I don't stop there. The gospel is this beautiful, wonderful thing that we should be sharing with people regularly. So don't stop at your baptism, but what a great start. Lord, this is where I'm at. And I think, too, um, I don't know about you, but the enemy so easily likes to remind me, well, are you really a believer? Dan, you know, you're not living perfectly. You're not doing this or doing that. And what I have found is I'm not saved by my baptism. I know that. But it's good for me to remember that, saying, you know what, way back then, I did. I I proclaimed Christ, he's my Lord and my Savior, and I know that I'm a believer. I know God saved me. And so for me, it has helped to be kind of that stake in the ground when the enemy comes and wants to accuse me and say, you know, you're you're not a believer. You never were a believer. Come on, Dan. Say, well, wait a minute. So it's just kind of one of those things that help me, not the only thing. I should look, obviously, at, well, am I wanting to pursue Christ today? Am I truly wanting to honor God, even though I may struggle and, and fall at times? But baptism is one of those things where it's kind of a stake in the ground that helps me to say, yeah, I know. It's been a while, Lord. You've done a work in me. I wish I would have been more submissive in some of the work you've done or wanted to do. I guess what I'm saying is this is, again, baptism is publicly identifying with Christ in his death, in his burial, and his resurrection. That's what it is. It doesn't save you. It's not a continuance of circumcision. It's not an altar call. It's a time where we associate with his people. And in some places around the world, there's a huge cost to that. For us, not so much. And so, I want to encourage you that if you can... Come back. Come back today uh, for that second service to see the baptisms. Uh, stand in the crowd. Delight in, in the testimonies. Celebrate what God has done. And be a part. In other words, it's a means of grace for you that God has provided. And for us as a body to celebrate. It, it's a time for us to give glory to God. To praise God for what he has done. And it is a special, special time. It's one of those things that I think um, COVID probably affected. You know, you shove it back, you keep pushing it back because not now, not now, not now. And I'm so glad today that we get to celebrate what God has done in people's lives through baptism. And I would encourage you to not be robbed of that blessing as well. Participate with all of the body of Christ here and watch God, uh, watch or hear the testimonies of God's greatness. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. You are so beautiful, so wonderful. In this room are so many testimonies of the miracle that you have done, Lord, and how you called each of us, how you have changed us now, Lord, we stand in awe of you. And in this room, Lord, it's a testimony to your greatness and your goodness and your love and your mercy. God, and we know that today we will hear people sharing their story 
of your power in their lives. God, I pray that we would remember the work you've done in our lives. God, it's so easy to take it for granted and just continue to live life and not think about what you have done and are doing. So I pray, God, that you would draw us close to you, stir in our hearts, stir in our hearts the remembrance of that day of salvation, that day of baptism, Lord, and the work that you have done. Lord, give us a heart for the lost. God, give us a heart for the lost to share the gospel just as those who are being baptized today will confess with their mouth. Lord, do a miracle in this body of Christ. Cause us to remember and cause us to press on to become more like Christ and to share the gospel, Lord, with the lost around us. And do this for your sake, Lord, and for your glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship. Thank you.